the very first thing I need to do is to issue an apology to Tasha. She, uh, she broke a couple nails as she was scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for chapel speakers <laughs> for this week, so I'm sorry. But you get what you pay for, so here we go. Um, I know the thing to do is to share your testimony. I'm going to do that. Mine is not a long one. Um, nor is it a... Um, I, I can't think of a better word. Nor is it a, uh, a, a novel one. And don't misunderstand me. It, it is novel in that I was spiritually dead with no hope um, of salvation before God sovereignly intervened in my life and gave me a new, a new heart and a new life. In that sense, it's very... It's very dynamic, and it is a very big deal. Um, what I mean is that there's probably nothing in my testimony that's, that, that would come as a shock to any of you or, or would be anything um, new or unexpected. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm going to share it, and um, that's only going to be a portion of the time. I'd like to spend the majority of the time talking about uh, a, a lesson that I've learned from my testimony that um, has become increasingly invaluable to me. And, and I want to share it with you, and I, my prayer is that um, it would be valuable to you as well. So that's what we'll do. My testimony goes like this. I was born uh, in August of 1987 in uh, Chester, Montana, in Liberty County. Uh, one of the most exciting places on earth. Um, <laughs> But not really. I, we lived in Fort Benton until I was about five. My dad pastored a church out there in Fort Benton. I have a few memories of that place. Um, but then we moved. We relocated to Missoula and uh, lived there for another five years. And then we relocated again down, down the valley, down the Bitterup Valley, um, where I lived. Spent, that's what I refer to as my home in terms of my upbringing. I'm from the Bitterup. So um, I still kind of refer that refer to that as my home. My, my wife is also from there, and her parents still live there, so we make it over there fairly often. So in a sense, I'm a bitter rooter, but in a sense, I'm not because I drive sober and um, <laughs> because I have all the windows of my house. They're intact. So, so I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a mix there. Some of you will maybe get that joke. Some of you might not. So Anyway, so that, that was, uh, that's my upbringing. When I was in high school, I began, oh, I'm sure it started before then, but I began this burning desire to do a couple of things. I desperately wanted to, um, uh, through some means, form my own identity and, and understand that, well, for, I should dispel the rumor that I was raised in a Christian home. I don't know where that started, but no, I was. I was raised in a very Christian home and, and to the point where I knew nothing else. I knew nothing else um, but Christianity, and, and I thank God for that now, and I really do. Uh, Sunday school, every Sunday, church every Sunday, of course, Awana, there's no S on the end of that word for the late person, you know, Awana every Wednesday night, VBS every Sunday, um, Bible studies in my home that my parents led, that sort of thing, that was my life growing up, I, uh, I experienced private Christian school, home school, and public school, so it's kind of like being mulatto, you can make fun of everybody, so I have, uh, I have that privilege. Okay, so I grew up in the, in, uh, deeply in the church. I had, I had any head knowledge anyone would have for a person my age with my upbringing. 
But when I got into high school, I had this, uh, I had this desire. I had to establish myself. I wanted something new. I wanted something non what I was used to. And if that meant getting away from the church, then that was okay. That was in the realm of possibility for me. That was the first thing I wanted to do. I wanted to establish myself, establish my own identity. And I, and I knew that that would probably uh, mean leaving Montana, which I was okay with. I, I hated Montana. Um, I, I wanted to leave this state so, so badly and, and never look back. Um, I, I convinced myself that there has got to be a better place out there than Montana. And there is. It's West Virginia, for the record. But Montana's pretty good. I do enjoy Montana, and I like being here. But um, So I did get an opportunity to, to accomplish both these things, to start forming a new identity and to get out of Montana. Uh, the summer after my junior year of high school, I was having a conversation with my dad. He was reading something, of course, and um, he asked me, are you planning on going to college after high school? In my 16 or 17-year-old brain or whatever, I, I did the math real quick. I said, yeah, that's what people do after high school. And they go, yeah, then college, yeah. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to college. Yeah, I'm planning on going to college, sure. And my dad's answer, my dad has this, he's not here today. Let me, let me pull out my second set of notes. Um, he's got this thing he does. Some of you may have experienced this. He says one thing. And here's what he actually says. And over here, there's like 10 implied statements just from that. I wouldn't call it a gift, um, but it's something that he does. And, um, and he's good at it. So are you going to go to college? Yeah, I'm going to go to college after high school, of course. And, and I, remember, I remember where he was sitting in our basement without even lifting his eyes from what he was reading. He said, oh, who's going to pay for it? And... Um, that's when I learned that he was not going to pay for it. So I did what uh, I found myself doing what uh, both of my older brothers had done. And uh, I started entertaining the idea of the military. And uh, so I found myself down at the recruiter's office in Missoula. Those of you familiar with Missoula, it's in that little strip mall right across from Southgate Mall. And so I went into the recruiter's office, and uh, the, all of the offices are right there in the same hallway. And the only two who were there that day were, were the Navy. The Navy recruiter was there, and uh, the Army recruiter was there. So that's who I ended up talking with, both of those folks. The Air Force guy, um, it was only 10 in the morning, so I'm assuming he wasn't up and into work yet. Um, and I think the Marine Corps guy had a, an appointment with his probation officer. So, so I was, I was so there I was, talking with the Army and the Navy. And over the next few months, I, um, I chatted with both those guys and what it really came down to was a couple things. The Army guy was just, he was just kind of a weirdo. I mean, he was just kind of a weirdo. Um, and, and, the, and the Navy guy, he was from Victor. If you're familiar with the bitter, Victor's right down the road from Steve I. So he was a local guy. He was really down to earth. He was slightly chubby. I'm like, man, this could work. I, could, I think I could do that, get a cool hat, you know, and that sort of thing. And um, Long story short, and, and not only this, but the Navy's the only branch of service currently where they guarantee you your job prior to you actually signing the dotted line. Guarantee it. So I knew I was going into the Navy to be a photo and video journalist, and, um, and so that's what I did. And so I signed up a year early, and uh, one month after I graduated high school in 2006, I was on an airplane out of Butte to Great Lakes, Illinois. 
for boot camp. So I wanted desperately to form my own identity, so naturally I joined an organization where everybody dresses the same and has the same haircut and eats the same food and uses the same lingo. I mean, that only makes sense, right? <laughs> but that's what I did. There was no identity there, but people still tried. So I, you know, I found myself... Um, hanging out with different groups of people and, 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 you know, and everyone's trying to do the same thing. So maybe it means, maybe it means a new tattoo or maybe it means drinking a little more or playing your music just a, just a little louder or, or whatever. Um, I quickly learned that all of those things are, are completely lacking are completely empty in terms of an identity. And, uh, I found myself still wanting. Okay. And not only that, on top of that, my church life, I was, I was, I don't know if disillusion is the right word. I, I had decided for that for this stage in my life I was going to set aside church. It was something I would come back to. I was pretty disillusioned. I, would, I, you know, I hopped around to a couple different churches in the area, uh, never stuck in one place. And on top of that, anybody who's had any um, amount of exposure to the military can probably testify, with military chaplains, you have no idea what you're getting. You might have a super, super solid dude and then, oh, his orders are up, or he's got to deploy, and then in comes. And I remember working for one army chaplain when I was at Fort Meade, and he sat there leading a Bible study of mostly unbelievers, and he taught that judgment and hell did not exist. And so, long story short, I, was, I said, okay, I'm going to set church, I'm going to set Christianity on the back burner for a while, and work more on this identity thing, and get myself established and all that. Um, uh, the Lord didn't like that plan very much. I went to an all-Korean church for a while. I wasn't planning on telling you that, but it just popped in my mind. That was, I can tell you that story offline. That was kind of fun. Um, anyway, that was my plan, and that, that wasn't God's plan. One day, I was, um, I was driving my, my bright orange Jeep Wrangler back from uh, I was Colonial Williamsburg. We did a photo shoot down there. I was driving from Williamsburg back to Hampton, where I lived, eastbound on 64, and um, I got a phone call from my mother, a flip phone back then, and um, chatting with my mom, and she said, hey, J.D. knows a guy uh, and he wants, and who wants to know you. Can I, can I tell J.D. to give him your number? Now, J.D., you remember, you remember Dave Price, Dave and Susan Price? Okay, so J, uh, J.D. was Dave Price's son. J.D. was from our, from our hometown. He was from Stevensville, and I worked for his dad on the ranch, changing pipe. That was like my first job. And um, J.D. was much older than I was, but he had joined the Navy uh, much earlier. Now he's a full bird. He's a captain. He, uh, he does EOD. He diffuses bombs underwater. At least he did when he was lower ranking. But he had been stationed where I was, and, and he knew this guy who, all I knew was this guy who led Bible studies. He wants, to, he wants to get in touch with you. Can I give him your phone number? I said, sure, you can give him my phone number. Um, and five minutes later, I got a call on my phone number I didn't recognize, 757, knew it was local Virginia number, and uh, hi Joel, my name is Rich, I lead a Bible study on Langley Air Force Base, would you like to come tonight? Um, hmm. Just a little bit about Rich, and we're going we're gonna to come back to Rich, but Rich, Rich, um, he pursued me relentlessly, he didn't let me off the hook, um, I did end up going to that Bible study. And uh, I got to the point where I, I ended up leading that Bible study with Rich for, for young service members and their families. Um, also, during that time, I met my wife. There's a microphone there. Also, during that time, I met my wife, and, and 
that year and a half, two years right there, things, things in my life just did a giant 180. And that's when things began to, um, I began to re-identify myself with, with Christ and, and, and less the other things that were, that were failing to provide me with an identity. And um, that happened through the ministry of uh, Rich Roberts, who, who uh, worked for the Navigators at the time. Um, we eventually left Virginia uh, we moved next door to West Virginia. There's a small Navy base up in the mountains, about 200 people where we worked. And, um, and there also, uh, we, just, we, had, we had what has been thus far in my life the most, um, the most influential dynamic experience of a, of a church body that we've had with, with, a, with a sovereign grace church out there. And um, those people also are, are dear friends to us to this day. So then we decided to come, we, and it was either go back out to sea or get out of the Navy. And at that point, I had two kids, and I said, that's an easy decision, so it's time to go. Uh, we decided I was going to pursue vocational ministry, so we decided to come to Montana Bible College. See, I, I joined the Navy, and it was kind of, my parents kind of went, okay, he's gone, let's move to Bozeman, and uh, trying to ditch me. So they came over here, and uh, so Bozeman kind of became my new home. I did find them. Um, <laughs> I found them. We reconnected. This is very emotional. So, um, so we moved to Bozeman, and we've been. And you know the rest of the story. We've been here ever since. Um, going to school here, and I, I work out at Dry Creek Bible Church, doing doing whatever needs done. And uh, I also work for International Students Incorporated, trying to reach international students here at the uh, Montana State University campus. And then we added another kid, apparently. So that's, that brings us up to now. So that's my testimony. So like I said, there's nothing, um, there was nothing like I got hit by a semi-truck and was flown through the air and Sasquatch witnessed to me or anything like that. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was run of the mill in that sense. And here's what I want to do, though. I want to go back to talking about Rich because, like I said, there's something that I've learned from him that has become increasingly more important to me. Um, I want to talk about what Rich did. What did Rich actually do? What did he, what did he do um, for God's kingdom in my life? Rich, uh, like I said, Rich pursued me. Rich sought me. He challenged me. It, it was always, what, what are you struggling with right now? How are you, how are you doing with that? How's, how's your um, prayer life? What are you memorizing right now? Yeah, the navigators and Bible memorization. I know that's nothing new, but... but um, he, he, he was always pushing me. He was always pushing me. He was always caring for me. Uh, the bottom line is, Rich wanted to see me do well spiritually. He, he wanted to see me um, improve. That's what he was all about, not, and not just with me. There were, you know, there were a handful of guys who, who he had this type of relationship with, but never before had I, had I been engaged like this with another believer. What's going on? Rich, he later told me, he's told me recently, he's, he no longer works for the Navigators. He's now back to active duty in the Air Force and actually was recently promoted to E-9. But he told me, um, just in time, I thank him. Every time I talk to him, I thank him. And uh, he told me recently, he said, that in his 13 years with the Navigators, after 13 years of ministry with the Navigators, he can count on one hand, including myself and Jesse as a, as a couple. He can count on one hand the individuals or the couples he, he discipled who he knows are still walking with Jesus. Rich was not in it 
uh, for the numbers. He was not in it to make conversions. That, that wasn't what he was about. Rich was about something much, much bigger than that. Rich was, I mean, he was a parachurch guy, right? And, and, uh, and it's easy for us to, sometimes I'm a navigator. You know, Rich, shouldn't you be handing out tracts or explaining the four spiritual laws? Or don't you have a monthly report to send in for how many, how many uh, sinners' prayers were said or, or whatever? And that just, that wasn't Rich. Rich valued the bride. Rich highly esteemed the bride of Christ. The bride was important to him. He valued God's chosen people. He recognized me as one regenerate, and he worked to make me presentable as part of the bride. Rich modeled that for me um, personally. I also I, I think of Scripture. Yeah, we're going to get to open our Bibles a little bit today. Um, you don't have to open anywhere specifically yet. We'll get to Colossians in a minute, but I think of the Apostle Paul, you know, writing the bulk of, of this last third here, and um, book-wise, letter-wise. And here's the deal. I, I, think it's, I think it's safe to look to the Apostle Paul and other, and other writers as models uh, for, for our daily living. And what I mean by that is, I believe God was intentional with this book. I believe that everything in it is intentional. I think every piece of history uh, was coordinated and orchestrated to best bring about his redemptive plan. So I think when he chooses someone like, the, like Paul or Saul to write all these letters to these churches, I don't think there was anything willy-nilly about that. It was neither willy nor nilly. It was, um, it was in, entirely intentional. And I, I think when God chooses someone for something as huge as this, we can look at their life. We can read what they say, absolutely. We can also look at their life and draw some inferences from that. And so that's what I want to do quickly. I mean, I think about Paul's relationship to the church or Paul's uh, estimation of the bride. You know, Paul, Paul was a great missionary. Yeah, Paul was a great missionary, but it wasn't like, okay, you guys have X amount of believers, great See you later, see you in glory, um, or you know, see you in heaven, hope you do well. Turn to any one of Paul's letters, any one of them. And time and again, what are you seeing? You're seeing things like, I always thank God for you. I'm always in prayer for you. Oh, how I want to come see you. Always, always, always. And what is the nature of these letters? Paul is always, he's teaching them. He's instructing them. He's correcting them when they need it, but all out of love. And why? Because Paul wants the bride to be presentable for the groom. Uh, You can turn to Colossians now. This passage in Colossians chapter 1, I think, is a very good summation, a mission statement, if you will, of of Paul and what he's about. I'm going to read this to you in Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. I'll read through verses 29, and I might pause there in the middle a couple times. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of the glory. Christ in you. Let's pause right there. What in the world? Christ in you. What does he mean by that? Do you think Paul could have remembered his conversion at this point, Christ in you? When God knocked him to the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, the bride and the groom are so integrally, they're really, really in a big way, uh, (laughs) unified. That Paul is basically saying, you, you, you you can't mess with the bride without messing with the groom. That's why husbands get jealous when someone flirts with their bride. That's a good jealousy. That's my bride. Okay? And I'm jealous for the bride. Jesus is jealous for his bride. What we're getting at here is because the bride is important to Jesus. The bride was important to Paul. The bride should be important to us. Okay? This might sound really elementary. Maybe it is, but hopefully we can get a little deeper. This language of the bride. Flip over to Revelation 19 real quick. This language of the bride. I think I know we can refer to the church as the body of Christ, as the temple of Christ. I, I love using the term the bride, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Again, I say the bride is important to Jesus. The bride should be important to us as it was to Paul. Why this language of the bride, just as a side note, just that you don't have to think far. Well, you do in terms of Old Testament far. This language of the bride and the groom. Israel, ethnic Israel, failed time and again. They were unfaithful time and again to the groom. They were likened to a whore, pardon my language, because they could not remain faithful to the groom. They owed their allegiance to the groom, but he didn't get it. This language is throughout, I mean... You know, crack open Ezekiel and read a little bit about the adulteress. The groom requires a pure and spotless bride. And now Christ lives where? He lives in his people. And so Paul is saying, let's work to make ourselves presentable for the groom. That's what he's always desired. And that's ultimately what's going to happen when you jump to the end. So... Here's what I'm saying, in case you're confused. Here's what I'm saying. What in the world, what, what we got to do an application, right? What, what is, okay, so what does this mean? You're saying, yeah, I, so I get it. So the church is important. So the bride of Christ is important. What does that mean? 
I mean, I, I think two things that came to my mind as I was preparing for today. One is I would, what I've been asking myself, trying to ask myself more and more on a regular basis, and what I would ask you to ask yourselves on a more and more regular basis is what am I doing to help make the bride presentable? How am I a part of that? What are we doing? At the, at the very least, are we praying for the bride? Are we praying for one another? I mean you specifically. we got to spend eternity together. We're on the same team. We have infinitely more in common than a couple of Packers fans in a sports bar, yet they get more excited than we do when we come into communion with each other. That's terrible. What are we doing to make the bride presentable? Well, what did Paul do? Again, we're not, we're not all apostles. I get that, but... But where can, where can we teach? Where can we encourage? Um, where can we correct if necessary? It's, it's amazing what God, does to you, what, what, what God does to you. Just today, I was rebuked. <laughs> Haven't been rebuked in a while. And um, praise God that there, there was someone willing who cared enough about the bride to say, we can do better. We can do better than this. Let's work on making this thing presentable. So we can encourage one another. We can teach one another. We can correct one another when needed. That's what needs to happen. Like Paul did. Like Paul set the example. Like Rich did for me. He modeled that for me so well. That's the first thing. The second thing I, I just want to point out is I know that this could raise the question if you're wondering, you know, but Joel, doesn't this... Uh, what, what does this do to evangelism? What does this do to reaching the lost? If we spend all of our time and efforts just on building up the church, aren't we neglecting the Great Commission? And aren't we neglecting what has been taught so clearly in Scripture about reaching the lost? I don't think so, and I'll explain why. If someone were to ask me, what is the purpose of a Christian, or what is the mission of a Christian, I could say, the purpose is to make the bride presentable, and I think that that would be an inclusive statement that that would include evangelism to the lost. And I want to explain to you why. This is the last place we'll turn, and it's in the 10th chapter of John. I should hear more pages. Turning. <laughs> Let me build you up, bride. Okay. In John chapter 10, Jesus is uh, having a discussion with the Pharisees, and they're not quite getting it. This is where we get the good shepherd passage. Now, interestingly, something that I, I, as I was studying a bit ago, I, I came to kind of make this connection. I'm sure many of you probably already have. When Jesus is talking with the Pharisees about how he is the good shepherd, I think emphasis on the good shepherd, because these Pharisees would have been familiar with their scriptures. They probably would have read Ezekiel 34, and they probably would have known the prophecy that shepherds of Israel you guys have only been looking out for yourselves. You've been doing a terrible job, but guess what? I'm coming. You're out. I'm in. I'm going to shepherd my own people because you're failing. I think they would have been familiar with that. So when Jesus said to the religious leaders, I'm the good shepherd, that's kind of like a slap in the, slap in the face, a well-deserved slap in the face to them. And there's some super important things here. So in John chapter 10, pick up with me. Uh, let's start in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own 
know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is it. Listen to this. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What do we do with this? In other words, shepherds, you're out, I'm in. And by the way, this is a whole lot bigger than what you have in mind. This is a whole lot bigger than Israel. I have sheep who aren't even of this fold you don't even know about. I have sheep, present tense, but I must bring them, and they will listen in the future, what in the world is happening here? Jesus is saying they're mine, but they're not, but they're not in yet. How, what do we do with that? I think what we do with that is we acknowledge the truth of Revelation 5. I don't need to turn there. Where we learn that because of the shed blood of the Lamb, people from every tribe and tongue and nation were purchased. In other words, the sheep are out there. They're bought and paid for. They're mine. They belong to me. They need to be brought in. So maybe a better question is, who is the bride? Well, the bride is the sheep who were purchased by Jesus, by his shed blood. Some of them are already in. Not all of them are. But they're bought and paid for. You see what I'm saying? In other words, building up the bride of Christ, making the bride presentable, doesn't happen just inside the confines of a Bible college or a church building or whatever. It includes bringing in the sheep who Jesus has already bought and paid for. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? And so those are, the, those are the two big things that I would encourage you to do. One is consider, how am I, how am I making the bride present, presentable? How can, I, how can I encourage someone today? Are we praying for one another? Do we cherish one another? Look, I'm, I recognize in my own life, um, I struggle with the sin of being critical, of being cynical, often at the expense of others, even others, especially others within the body. Um, and I think every time I do that, and I'm not, I'm not talking about correcting something that's false, you know, or, that, or that sort of thing. I'm talking about being critical when it's not necessary. When I do that, I am stepping outside of the body. I'm going back to that old identity. I'm trying to take on my own identity again, and I'm mocking the bride of Christ. And I see no situation where that's okay. And that's something I'm, I'm dealing with. So I would encourage you to consider how you might regularly work on making the bride presentable. Because that's why the church has been allowed to remain to this hour. The bride's not ready. The sheep aren't all gathered in. So um, I want to pray at this point, And then you can go about your business. God, we're glad that you have given us the end of the story when the bride will be spotless and we can enjoy that union with you that we long for, that we anticipate, that we strive for. As we wait for that, God, I want, I, I, I want to be moved every day to consider how I might make the bride presentable. That's what you deserve, God, and, and so much more. Help us to teach one another, to encourage one another, Help us to value one another as, as 
the elect as Christians, we are a family God and we want to begin to view each other that way. We want to get our hands dirty in ministry together. We want to cherish the bride as you cherish the bride, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, please please move our hearts in that direction every day. And I pray that as we go about the business of, of bringing in the sheep who you've bought and paid for, that we would just become that much closer to the day, the glorious day when you return and we are united with you forever. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.